imagine a life where you don't have to prove yourself every time you walk into a room. Where every time you walk in, you don't wonder what people think about you or if they're going to like you. Because you know, deep down in the core of your being, that you are deeply, deeply, deeply loved by God. You're not defined by what you do. That when you walk in and you've had a bad day or a hard day or you're struggling with anxiety or depression or grief, that you don't feel like you have to prove something to anybody else. Because your worth has been proven by the person of Jesus on the cross. Hey, it's Trey with New City Church. Thank you so much for taking the time to check out one of our messages. If you'd like to plan a visit sometime, you can do that at newcitynash.com slash visit. We'd love to connect with you and hope and pray that this message blesses you. Today, our scripture reading is going to be in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this time to just set aside in our week and just center our hearts and center our minds on you to remind us of the goodness of God, to remind us that you care for us and you love us and you long to give your children good gifts. God, we thank you that you are there for us. God, we thank you that in a world that is broken and crippled by the curse that of our own sin, that you forgive us, that you offer fullness of life because of your son, Jesus. Lord, we just pray over Trey as he comes and brings the word. We ask that your spirit would speak through him, God, and we pray for humble hearts to receive that message. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. As we read that passage, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but I kind of think just come. All of you. Because who's not tired? Who's not worn out? Who doesn't feel like you're carrying a lot? We're going to do something different uh, the next couple uh, weeks um, that might not be that unfamiliar to some of you who grew up in more uh, liturgical traditions. Follow a, uh, what's called lectionary. Are some of y'all familiar with that word? Um, so in some... Some traditions, uh, pastors and priests uh, follow uh, what's called a lectionary. So across different churches within that denomination or group, people preach from the same thing. Uh, we are not a denominational church, so we kind of preach through what we want to preach through. And, uh, but at the same time, one of the networks that we're a part of is called Practicing the Way. You've probably heard us use that uh, word before. And Practicing the Way is a network of churches that aim to see the renewal of the church, particularly in the West, through practicing the way of Jesus. That centers around three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did, or in a longer form, doing what Jesus would do if he were you. And the idea is with practicing the way, they're an organization that is aimed to equip churches to 
actually practice the way of Jesus together. In other words, that discipleship or becoming who God has made you to be is not just about what happens up here, but it's about it getting into your bodies and incorporating ancient spiritual practices to help you become who God has made you to be. And so while we're not going through a lectionary, uh, different churches in practicing the way are all focusing in on the practice of Sabbath. Some might be doing it now, there's not necessarily a time frame. Some might be in the upcoming years. Some are doing it through teaching series like this. Some of them are doing through groups. Some of them are doing through coursework. Some of them are incorporating it more in leadership and moving, uh, moving from there. Uh, we are doing it, obviously, via preaching and then talking about it in our groups. Um, and the first practice that we're going to talk about is the practice of Sabbath. And so if you were to be a part of any of the churches that are in practicing the way, uh, we all are sharing pretty much the same notes, but each one will have their own little inflection and examples and other things along those lines. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I love about that is that there is a large movement of people within the church in the West who are aiming to incorporate these ancient spiritual practices back into your regular rhythm. And so over the next four weeks, we're talking about the practice of Sabbath. And, and to start out, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. Most of you, maybe not all of you, have social media or have a TV or have looked at a magazine before. That might be an older reference for some of y'all. But if you flip through a magazine, or even if you're scrolling through TikTok or your reels or whatever, how many of you guys get those uh, like pictures of this like beautiful travel scene that looks like uber restful? Or maybe if you're in a magazine or you get an advertisement and it's like two people having a nice cup of coffee together and it looks so restful, or it's like uh, a dude laying back on a couch and strumming the guitar and just looks like he's got no concerns whatsoever. I remember I went to Belmont uh, for undergrad and the advertisement they sent was of a guy I think on the lawn playing guitar, and so when my my parents were like, where do you want to go to school? I was like, I mean, Belmont looks pretty cool. Like, I like that. I play guitar and like playing on the lawn. Like, sure, that looks, that looks great. I don't know that I ever played guitar on the lawn now thinking about my time at Belmont. But media advertises this idea of rest to you. Uh, sometimes it's through something like a vacation to work hard enough and to get this nice vacation. And if you go here, you can rest. Sometimes it's through like a nice rope or something along those lines, uh, buying something that will make you feel restful, some form of like retail therapy, which I'm honestly not totally against, to be honest with you, <laughs> um, at least in my own personal life. Maybe you are, I don't know. Um, but what are they selling? You might say that what they're selling is Sabbath, this deep need that is ingrained within each of us to find rest. The word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat, literally means to stop or to cease or to be done. And the marketing departments all over the world know that what you crave is rest. They say you have to buy it. You have to do enough to earn it. But the invitation to Sabbath is not that. It's not to earn it. It's that we all are invited to participate in this. This primal human ache for Sabbath for what the spiritual writer Marva Don called a Sabbath spirituality, a life where we are at peace with God and live with joy, is nothing new. It goes back all the way to Jesus' day. One of Jesus' most famous invitations is what we just read, and I want to read it again for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The question, are you tired, is somewhat of a rhetorical question for us. 
Someone asks you, how are you? What are the normal responses? I'm good, I'm fine. That's one, and it's really saying that I have a whole lot more that's going on underneath, but I might not wanna share it with you now, or you're not ready to hear it, or I'm not ready to hear it, to be honest. Or I'm good, just busy. I'm good, just tired. But Jesus makes a promise here. Come to me, and what? And I will give you rest. Again, take my yoke upon you, and then what? Go on. And you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, but when I've heard that before, if I was to really think about it, I would be like, hmm, I feel like I've come to you. I feel like I'm trying to take this yoke upon myself like that you've offered. I feel like I'm doing that stuff. Why then do I feel so tired? What does it mean even to come to him? We had a wonderful conversation in our growth group on uh, Tuesday about this, and someone in our growth group uh, said it's, you know, when I think about coming to God, it's, it's kind of like coming to a friend, uh, coming to them and knowing that you need something, that you need to lay your burdens upon them. But with a friend, your friend probably has to go and rest afterwards because it was maybe a lot for them. Um, or they just need to process it later. But with God, he can handle it. We also talked about how it's coming to him. Is, it's, it's kind of like a child coming to a parent. and Like God picking him up, holding them, come to me. The requirement is not that you have done enough to earn the rest. It's not that you have worked hard enough or been productive enough or been good enough. Come to me. Who? The, what does he say? All you who are weary and burdened. Are you tired? Do you feel like you have a lot on your plate? Do you feel a stress in your shoulders? Do you feel it in the back of your neck? Is your stomach in knots? Come to me, and you will find rest. Eugene Peterson, a uh, pastor and theologian, phrased it at Matthew 11 like this. He said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Let me learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says this thing about take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the yoke he's referring to is not an egg yoke. That's with an L instead of the K-E there. It's uh, ancient times, it would be like a yoke for an ox to help them be able to carry a burden. But uh, like I said, we had really rich discussion in our group on Tuesday, and someone mentioned that uh, canoes, if you were to carry a canoe on a camping trip, they also have a yoke. And the yoke that they had was not very good. It caused their back to hurt. But their friend had a really nice yoke, a better one. And when they took it upon them and carried it, all of a sudden the pain started to go away. Jesus' invitation to take his yoke upon upon yourself is not to cease working all the time, but this rest that he offers gives you a whole new way of operating. Uh, As one theologian named Walter Brueggemann said in concerns to the Sabbath, that the Sabbath causes you to live all seven days differently. That when you find the rest of God, it actually enables you to work differently. That there's this rhythm that God invites us into, into both work rest. The question, are you tired, is really a rhetorical question because, I mean, I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hands, but if I was, I imagine most of you would probably say, I am tired. Maybe not sleepy tired. Maybe you are. I feel that a lot. Maybe it's not just that. It's like, it's a, it might be a spiritual thing. The low-grade exhaustion, in some ways, is the new normal. I know that's not what everybody was talking about when, 
in the midst of COVID, what's the new normal going to be? But the new normal for a while has just been constantly being tired and always busy, running from thing to thing. Part of the reason for this is body-based. Up until very recently in human history, most people slept for 10 to 11 hours a night. Now, the average person in the West sleeps just over six. No wonder we're tired. I'm not even going to tell you all the, the research from neuroscientists or the devastating effect of insufficient sleep on our mind and body and health and all that other stuff. Um, and while there are seasons of life where that's unavoidable, it's become chronic for too many of us. Sometimes you can't avoid it where you just, your sleep gets interrupted or you can't, there's just seasons of life where that's the case. But we are diminished in our whole person because we are so tired. And it's not just our bodies. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. Because I don't know about you, even when you get to go on vacation or have time off and even catch, catch up on sleep, which is kind of a weird thing to think about, there's this psycho-spiritual exhaustion that does not go away in the modern world. Anna and I talk often, it's the season of life that we're in because we have a toddler, but like now we go on vacation and in some ways we come home more tired than we were when we, uh, before we left. Now, now part of that is because we're watching a toddler and sometimes he doesn't sleep when we're away and there's a number of factors that are involved in that. But we are all experiencing this constant psycho-spiritual exhaustion, the hurry, busyness, and frenetic pace of life that we're constantly rushing from one thing to the next leads us to perpetually feeling tired. The noise of your phone, of, I mean, some of y'all like me live close to Townsville Road. It's always loud. There's always something. It's always busy. It's not bad. I kind of, I mean, kind of enjoy like being in a city and the busyness and all that. But what do you think that does to you and contributes to you? without a counterformative practice. In addition to that, the always-on work culture. How many of you all work with your phone? A number of you? Like that you use your phone for work? I do, I use my personal phone for work. How am I supposed to be able to switch from this thing being a work device to also somehow being a personal device that now it can help me rest? You're always kind of working, right? To some extent, it's hard to have those boundaries. And then you throw in working from home, which big fan of. I enjoy working from home. I'm an introvert. I think it's great. But have you noticed it's become increasingly hard to have those separations between work and home? When instead of moving from the office and driving back and going to your house, that you leave one room and go into the other room, or maybe you just turn off your computer or you just change the, what page you're looking at on that said computer on the same couch that you're working at already. How do we not feel tired? In addition to that, living is so darn expensive. Sometimes it takes multiple jobs to make it work, to pay for the place to live. School, if you're in school, is exhausting and a lot, and some extent, like your schedule's kind of determined by somebody outside of you. How do you find rest? The digital age, we've got a phone that never stops buzzing. There's a constant stream of alerts and 24-7 news cycle full of outrage and fear. I don't know if you feel this, but I struggle with the tension of wanting to be informed and know what's going on because I feel like at least people think that's important. But also, what am I going to do about the majority of these things that I'm learning about? Honestly, sometimes it breeds more numbness than it does compassion. Because if we're honest, for a lot of us, we hear these things that are going around, around the world that are absolutely horrendous, and we've heard so many of them, and we become numb to them, and it's overwhelming, so we don't even know what to do, so we don't even pray about it. What is it contributing to you? 
Also, everything's so polarized now. Say something, might be in trouble. If you don't say something, you might be in trouble. It's hard. It's exhausting. In addition to that, we live in a radically individualistic society, and we have this epidemic of loneliness, which I've struggled with, which some call the greatest health crisis of our time. How do we not feel burdened with too much to carry and tired? And this is so hard, right? Because if you are tired and worn out and feeling like you're heavy laden or like you've got all this stuff on your plate, how in the world are you supposed to now do the effort to find rest? Well, that seems like one other thing to do. One of my friends, I think I've shared this before here, uh, we were talking about church life, he's a pastor, and he said, sometimes I feel like what we're doing in the church is asking people to get off the treadmill of American life and hop on the treadmill of church life. I told him that the other day, that I was like, man, I've quoted you so many times, and I'm like, I don't remember that, but that is a good line, like, that was good. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus does invite you to work and take his yoke upon you, but there is a different sort of rest that God invites you to be a part of, that causes you to live all seven days differently. I don't want to add things to your life as we're talking about a practice of Sabbath. I know it can sound like, oh man, here's this one other thing that I need to do that sounds awful and I don't want to do. My perception of Sabbath as a kid was like, uh, when I heard it talked about, um, which I don't remember how much I heard it talked about, when I thought about it, it was like, I'm going to have to not work, just pray and read my Bible all day, and maybe sing songs to God. And if I'm really honest, that sounded awful. It sounded so boring. It sounded not fun. I was like, I'd like to play outside, do something fun. Come to believe Sabbath is actually incredibly delightful experience. There's a spiritual writer who said that Sabbath uh, is about resting your body, replenishing your spirit, and restoring your soul. That on Sabbath, you do things that help your body that feels perpetually tired rest. That if you can, you take a nap. Why? Because it's Sabbath and you can. And it's beautiful, and praise God that you get to. That you do things that replenish your spirit that may look different for each of us. Something that doesn't feel like work play guitar, you do something creative. Why? Because you enjoy it. You have coffee with a friend. Why? Because it's fun. And it brings you delight. You get to delight in the presence of God and with other people on the, the Sabbath. In addition, you restore, you aim to restore your soul. Doing things like those spiritual practices, prayer, reading your Bible, worship, all of that, but that also infiltrates into everything else. Um, I've shared this before with the practice of gratitude, but I went through a period where like, um, every time I felt bad, I would list three things I was thankful for. I was in a really dark period of depression, so it was literally like all the time. And I made myself tell God three different things every time. And it sounds so trite, but I remember I loved Cheez-Its brought me like a lot of happiness when I would ever go eat them. Cheez-Its became a source of like, I won't say like a sacrament where like I sense the presence of God, but in some ways kind of like that. That this Sabbath delighting in God's presence causes all these seemingly normal things to become holy experiences, where you start to encounter the presence of God, not only in the reading the Bible and the prayer, but in the coffee with a friend or reading a fiction novel that you've been really interested in reading for a while. That becomes a beautiful way in which you realize that Christ really has come so that you might have a rich and abundant and satisfying life. This problem of exhaustion that we have isn't just an emotional or physical problem. It's a whole person, spiritual problem. Why? Why is that? Because Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, it seems like the goal of what it means to be human and how he's created you to be is to become a person of love, who loves God with all that you are and loves your neighbor as yourself. Don't have to tell you that it is hard to love people and God well when you were tired. You know that. Oh, I'm sorry, I just, how many times have you apologized? I've apologized multiple times. When I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really tired, I didn't get enough sleep, I'm sorry I responded the way that I responded. And sometimes that's inevitable, what's human, you know, sometimes sleep gets interrupted or you, your mind's running and you can't sleep even though you tried. But for a lot of us, it's a lot more chronic and low grade than that. Jesus said in Mark chapter four, verse 19, that the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The hard truth is if love for God and obedience to God are two sides of the same coin, as Jesus said, aim to teach, it's hard to love God when you're worn down. Because when we're tired, we're more prone to sin. A scientist would tell you that there's a lack of, that a lack of rest erodes energy from the prefrontal cortex the part of brain, our brain that exercises impulse control. But secondly, it's hard to love other people too because as a general rule, people who are tired are not the most loving. Most of our worst moments probably are when we are tired, exhausted, not just sleepy tired, but just exhausted in general. And even if you are not like most people, which is more prone to being irritated, frustrated, annoyed, um, angry, not thinking through your words as much, uh, we approach Sabbath like this thing that we do when our battery runs out. Uh, and we work, we work, we work, and then we get to do it when we've accomplished enough, when we've earned enough, when we've saved up enough money, when we can do it. But if you're operating at 20, 30% all the time, how in the world are you expecting to be able to be, able to be fully present with God and with another person? Sabbath is a practice of, um, in some ways, regularly operating from a posture of, of rest, Jesus' will for your life is not to be chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, unhappy, and living with no margin. That's the enemy's will for your life. It's the enemy who is anti-Sabbath. Have you guys ever heard the cliche that the devil never takes a day off? Have you heard that before? Uh, true, but last time I checked, if we're following Jesus, we're not following the devil. And in the end, the devil is done away with. I began the weekly practice of Sabbath uh, must have been four or five years ago. I've not been perfect at it, but it has quite single-handedly been a source of rest in my life that really has caused all the other days to look different. As I've heard multiple people, multiple people say, in a given week, if you ask me what my favorite day of the week is, it might not always be Sabbath, but a majority of the time, it probably is. Now, admittedly, Sabbath looks a whole lot different right now with a toddler, so much different than it did a while back. Still figuring it out every week seems to be new. But it has made me more patient, uh, more kind, more loving, and feel more rested throughout the week. This is why rest is essential to apprenticeship with Jesus, because if we are not rested, it's impossible to become people of love. So you might be asking, is there a practice to move away from exhaustion? Yes, there is. Thank you for asking. It's Sabbath. The word Sabbath, or Shabbat in Hebrew, as I mentioned earlier, literally means to stop. Or it can mean to rest, to delight, and even to worship. And so what we're going to do over the upcoming four weeks is to go through these almost movements of Sabbath. Stop, rest, 
delight in worship. And this week we're focusing in on stopping. Really my application at the end of the sermon is for you to practice Sabbath and really the, the, the one thing, stop working on the Sabbath. Not trying to add things to your life, but actually remove things. To stop. And then next week we're gonna do something a little different um, because rest and stopping can look different for each person. Uh, we're gonna do our message time as a little bit more of uh, an interview style with a couple people up here talking about what Sabbath looks like for them to, so you can get a better idea of what it can look like for you. Uh, so, but to understand where Sabbath comes from, we have to understand something in the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, it says this, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Notice, God's Sabbath. You may be thinking, I'm re- I, I don't like stopping God's Sabbath. You might think I have a lot on my plate. God's Sabbath. You might think, like me, I've got little kids at home, and I'm starting a business or helping start a church. God's Sabbath. God the creator stopped, and in so doing, he built a rhythm into the fabric of creation. We work for six days, and then we Sabbath. We stop for one. If you were to read uh, the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you'll notice a common refrain at the end of the first six days. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day, and the third day, and so on, up to the sixth day. And you get to the seventh day, which is right after humans are made, and there is no refrain and there was evening, and there was morning, the seventh day. And theologians have pointed out that it's almost this idea of the Sabbath rest of God is this day that never ends. It's this way that we're able to participate in the life of God that infiltrates into everything else. That we are constantly inundated with busyness and doing and productivity and all of these things, but the Sabbath rest invites us to live the rest of life of life differently. As one Hebrew or Jewish scholar pointed out, Abraham Heschel, he said that the Sabbath is like a cathedral or sanctuary in time. This sounds kind of ethereal and mystical. In some ways it kind of is. Because on the seventh day, we participate in a day that's not governed by the busyness and frenetic pace of everyday life. That it's a day, I'm trying to remember who said this, but another spiritual writer described it as just kind of a day to delight with God, to wake up in the morning and discover what's what life with God is going to be like that day. You can obviously have a plan and all this other stuff um, that can be helpful for you, but it is a day meant for delight. Have you guys ever thought about how interesting it is, uh, how we have structured time? Our society, the history of world civilization has been built around a seven day week. Even though this is fascinating, the week is the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of the stars. The day is tied to the Earth's 24 rotation, our rotation, the month to the moon's lunar cycle, and the year to the Earth's journey around the sun. The seven-day week, you might say, is built upon God's own life rhythm. The last time there was a serious attempt to change the seven-day week was made in 1793 in the French Revolution, where they attempted a 10-day work week to increase productivity. You know what the result was? I probably don't have to tell you that it didn't work because we're not doing it. Productivity actually plummeted, and worse, there was a rush of suicides and spread of mental illness. And our generation is in some ways reliving this French Revolution all over again, not because the government is saying we want to 
make it a 10-day work week, but because we are aiming to entirely stop stopping, to keep going, to constantly work. I can't remember where I heard this, but um, I heard something not that long ago that was talking about before we had all the technology that we had. People thought that we surely would be working less when we had all of the devices that we would eventually have. But what's happened? You feel like you're always working. Isn't that ironic? The smartphone, electricity, alarm clock, car, all this stuff have created a world where we go and go and go and go and never stop. But God created the human body and the planet to live in a rhythm, that there's a rhythm between day and night, waking and sleeping, between noise and activity and quiet, between the tidal rhythm, between the land and the sea that's all over the earth. Even within our own bodies, there's a rhythm of the breath that we take as we inhale and exhale. When we lose this sense of rhythm, of pace, of back and forth, we can lose a part of our humanity. You are not a machine, you have a soul, and you were not created to move 24-7. There's plenty of research also that shows, and this is not the point, of, the point of Sabbath is not to increase productivity, but there's plenty of research to show that actually um, places that have experimented with a four-day work week actually um, increase productivity in their people. Uh, which is fascinating. There's also evidence to show that a certain number of hours you actually cap out on productivity. And maybe you think, well, in my profession, in order to succeed, that I have to really work all these extra hours. And maybe that's true. But what do you find if you start to talk with the people who are doing it? I've heard multiple stories where they say, oh, well, this person rised up to this top level, but what did it cost? Well, they're on their third marriage. And the third marriage isn't very happy, and it looks like they're probably going to get a divorce. That this perpetual busyness and work actually can be negative for our souls, that as we go against the Sabbath, in some ways we are going against the rhythm of creation. And as a philosopher named H.H. H. Farmer once said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And this is true on the negative side. I've heard someone say, uh, which is probably just one of those preacher catchy phrases, but uh, if you don't take the Sabbath, the Sabbath will take you. When you don't Sabbath, you suffer the consequences, burnout, stress, trashed immune systems, brain fog, frayed relationships, distance from God. But it's also true on the positive side. If you do Sabbath, you will experience something that maybe you didn't know was possible. There's this, uh, are you guys familiar with the Oregon Trail at all? The story of the Oregon Trail? Historians tell a story about pioneers traveling to Oregon, and there were two groups that split off in order to try to reach Oregon on time. Uh, One, who decided to keep going so they could make it on time, and the other would not give up the Sabbath. What's funny is that the group that was practicing the Sabbath actually arrived in Oregon first. More recently, I shared this a few weeks ago, but there's a medical sunny, uh, Sunday study, a medical study done on a large community of Christians who practice the Sabbath regularly. And the study found that on average, they live much longer than the regular population like 11 years longer. One doctor pointed out that if you add up the time devoted to Sabbath over a life, it's right around 11 years. He theorized that for every day you Sabbath, you add a day to your life. Of course, that's just a theory, and y'all know causation does not equal correlation. Um, Or correlation does not equal causation. I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, They also did a lot of other things in the community other than just Sabbath. But my point is, it's actually good for you. And what if the rhythm that God put into creation is actually good for your soul? Which is why later in Scripture, this command to Sabbath is commanded in part of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus, it says it like this, that to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath isn't just a good idea. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And in fact, it's the longest of all the Ten Commandments. If you were to do a pie chart, it would be about 37% of it. It's a theologian named Walter Brueggemann actually posited that um, the Sabbath is a key bridge between what it means to love God and love other people. The first three commandments deal with loving God, and the later six deal with loving your neighbor. And Sabbath is an integral practice, he argues, for helping you to love God with all that you are and then loving your neighbor as yourself. But it's so ironic that the Sabbath is one of the commands, I mean, really the only command that we really brag about breaking, even within the church. Oh, this person never takes a day off. They're such a hard worker. Are they? Are you? Am I? Is that what this is? Is that good? We, we brag about it. I, I remember hearing people brag about it and also seeing, not that this, once again, not that uh, correlation equals causation, but like burnout and moral failure and a lot of other things being correlated with people who seem to have a good work ethic. Is it a good work ethic? Busyness is a sign of social status, of high, maybe even how high up on the ladder you are, but this is not the way of God. And I know as talk, we talk about Sabbath that this topic can bring up a number of different things depending on your tradition. Uh, some people have been really legalistic about the keeping of Sabbath, and they're just to be clear, there is debate on whether or not the Sabbath commandment in the scriptures is binding, meaning whether we are still to actually have to do it. I remember I told somebody that I was Sabbathing and they were like every, trying to Sabbath every week and they're like, you don't need to do it every week. Like maybe every like couple months and just really do it when you do it. And I was like, what in the world is this guy trying to tell me right now? I was like, okay. I just said, okay, and just kind of moved on uh, from it and did not listen to him. And I'm glad I did not because Sabbath has been so transformative for me. Uh, and if you're a person who is like really against the Sabbath, I think when you're, when you're arguing about whether or not we have to, you're missing part of the point, which is something that we get to do. And that even if it doesn't stand as a commandment, which it might, it still stands as wisdom and something that is good for you. And if you're a person who's like, man, I don't have to Sabbath, I would ask you, are, do you feel rested? I would probably guess not. And if I'm wrong on that, please let me know. I would really love to hear what you found to be helpful. But most times when I hear that, it's from people who aren't particularly rested or restful, seem always busy and tired and worn out. I want to find rest for my soul. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. As Wayne Muller put in, put in a book that he wrote, I believe, that the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement for some law-giving deity. He goes on to say, it's a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. Jesus in Mark chapter 2 famously said, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. And he was speaking to a generation that had opposite problems to ours, that 
they had hundreds of rules around the Sabbath that warped God's intent behind the day. And sometimes when people point out Jesus in the Sabbath, they point out to how Jesus broke a lot of their rules. Uh, what is noteworthy is that Jesus always seemed to be practicing the Sabbath and making a point of it. They just disagreed about how to do it, not on whether or not the Sabbath was important. First century Jews may have needed to hear the second half of that line, that the Sabbath was not made, or that people were not made for the Sabbath. But you might argue that us, that we, need to hear the first part, that the Sabbath was made for people, that it is good, that it is helpful, that it is beneficial. Our problem isn't that we have too many rules for the Sabbath, it's that we don't have any. We don't ever stop. Uh, to quote that line from um, The Greatest Showman, that it's never enough, that we never have enough, we never have done enough. And even before this commandment was given in Exodus, it was a generous gift from God. So what, why do we do it? What are we told to do on the Sabbath? To remember. We remember that there's a creator God, that is, we live in his world and it's good. We remember there's a rhythm to creation. We remember that we will always, this side of eternity, feel like we are unfinished, that there is more left to do, that on the Sabbath we leave things unfinished as a reminder of who holds the world together. It's not me. It's not you. It's a day that we are, we get it baked into our bodies that we are human beings and not human doings. That it's not just about what we do, what people think about us, how much we accomplish, how productive we are, whether or not we had a good work week or a bad work week. It's not about any of that. On the Sabbath, we remember that we are who he says we are. We are deeply loved by God. We're made in the image of God. And if we are followers of Jesus, we are children of God. We remember that our life with God is a sweet and beautiful gift. And that we remember that we owe it to God to be grateful. So the day of Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a way of being into the world. If you do it regularly and repeatedly, you'll notice a shift in yourself from restlessness to restfulness, from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin, from burnout to a sustainable pace, from noise to quiet, from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, from grasping and gratitude. Sabbath isn't just an aspirational idea, it's a practice. And like all practices, I want to make this point clear. The point of Sabbath is not to Sabbath. The point of it is to partake in the life of God, to become a person of love, to center our entire life around him, to live more deeply in him. And this infects every day of our life. And the beautiful thing about Sabbath is that you don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You get to partake in it, to come to him. Are you tired? Are you worn out? The answer is yes. I really encourage you to try the practice of Sabbath and see what it does. A beautiful side effect is actually I think it makes you more productive in the rest of the week, but that's not the most important thing. So as we wrap up, my challenge for you this week is pretty, uh, pretty simple. Um, I would encourage you before you leave here to pull out your calendar and find a 24-hour period. If you can do 24 hours, try to where you can Sabbath in the upcoming week with the goal of simply stopping working, whatever that work looks like for you. It's a practice, not a perfection, meaning that you're not going to be perfect at it, but it's meant for your good. Um, my Sabbath typically uh, starts usually Friday around sundown and goes to Saturday at about sundown. And during that time, I try really hard not to work. Does my mind sometimes still try to work? Absolutely it does. 
um, which is all the more reason that I need Sabbath to make myself not. Because if not, my work would infiltrate into every other part of my life. And in a profession like mine, where my work centers around, ideally, God, um, knowing him and making him known, if I'm not careful, my relationship with God becomes more transactional and about work than it does about intimacy with him. That my time with him becomes a way of conveying a message, not a way of receiving and being with the presence of God. Um, and Sabbath is a way in which we partake in the life of God, not in a way to earn something, not in a way to demonstrate something, but just as a posture of being with him. And it's so counterformational to the rest of society. Honestly, I believe if you, if you start to practice it regularly, uh, you will find it to be incredibly beautiful. The first times you do it, if you've not done it before, will probably be really uncomfortable um, because it brings up a lot of fear and anxiety because you are not doing and you find your worth in what you do. And so not doing makes you feel like you are unworthy. At least that's how I feel sometimes. Oh, I didn't accomplish enough today. But Sabbath reminds you that you are not what you do. You are deeply loved by God. I heard of one person, I shared this maybe a couple weeks ago, um, who doesn't make their bed uh, on the Sabbath day because they always make their bed and they love the feeling of like having a house all put together. And part of their invitation for Sabbath was to not feel like everything was put together or finished. And so they don't make their bed on Sabbath. I know of another couple who they begin their Sabbath by making their bed and putting on new sheets because it's a way in which they experience the delight and rest of God. Sabbath can manifest in different ways and we're gonna talk about that more next week. But I encourage you, um, more than anything I said, like try Sabbath. And try it for a couple weeks and see what happens. See if you aren't a more peaceful person. See if you, this is not the point of Sabbath once again, but see if you're not actually more productive during the week. I th kind of think you will be. We all pray with me. Uh, God, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your love and grace and kindness. Uh, thank you for the invitation to partake in the rest of, of you. Um, Lord, I pray that you help us be people who are marked by a different sort of peace um, than the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us to be people who are formed to look more like you. Um, Lord, I know that we have a lot of things on our plate and worries and stress, and sometimes stopping makes us deal with some of those things. Um, God, I pray for everyone in this room and those who aren't here with us today that um, as we really seek to focus in on practicing uh, the Sabbath, to bake it into our bodies, that we are uh, deeply loved by you and that this is your world. Um, Lord, I pray that you do a formative work in us to help us to look um, more like you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. We pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.